0: Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by Life Site News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1 877 5483 or email her at mother at the Station of You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's
1: Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved. How are you? This is a wonderful day, the uh, second day of the octave of Our Lady's Assumption. It was a wonderful day yesterday, and the Feast of Our Lady of the Assumption, rather the Assumption of Our Lady, (laughs) I guess it could be either way, um, was a magnificent day, and uh, dear ones, it was a holy day of obligation, And so um, we need to get back to living our Catholic faith as a whole people of God. And if you did not get to Mass yesterday, um, you need to go to confession before you receive the Eucharist on Sunday because it was a holy day of obligation, which means we had needed to get to Mass. Now, um, I know some of you, Uh, are not able for one reason or another to receive the Eucharist, but you must be at Mass. And so, again, if you did not, um, uh, you need to go to confession before you receive the Eucharist on Sunday. So just a reminder, and I know many people would say, I didn't know that. I really didn't know that, but you know it now. Because I've told you, and the more we know, the more we're accountable for to whom much is given, much is required. Um, I am looking, beloved. Here it is, I've got it. The magnificent homily we read yesterday in the readings for Matins on Our Lady of the Assumption. And we're in her octave. Um, I know the church has done away uh, after Vatican II with many or most of the octaves, but. It's a first-class feast, and so we have the octave of the Assumption. And um, there's a wonderful homily by uh, St. Peter um, Cancius, uh, who was a priest, Um, and um, uh, just very beautiful. Let me get something here to help me. Hold on one sec. Okay, I got it. I got it. Just a little light that, that helps me to see small print. Don't get old. Your eyes get fuzzy. <laughs> okay, so a Homily, actually, by St. Peter Catius. Um And he says this. It's truly wonderful. And I learned from it yesterday. Um, he, he calls this the greatest feast of our lady of all the feasts of our lady he calls this the greatest the assumption her assumption into heaven uh, or as the eastern church says the dormition or the uh, the transit uh the transmission uh, um into heaven um, uh, uh, Rather than the assumption, it's he said the assumption is sort of a mechanical word, but the dormition or the transition, rather not trans—did I say transmission? Transition. Um, it's very, very beautiful. And why was it Our Lady's? Why is it Our Lady's greatest feast? Which I didn't think of on my own. Uh, it's because she went back to see her son. We think in terms of us, but if we think in terms of Our Lady. How could anything be greater than her going to heaven and being with her son again? So uh, St. Peter Cancius says this. Um, the Church frequently and reverently keepeth feast days dedicated to the Mother of God, realizing that it is a work pleasing to God and worthy of the faithful. If many feasts with fixed dates and public ceremonies are celebrated in honor of the most blessed of all the blessed in heaven, the Mother of our Lord and God. Among all these feasts, which have been celebrated so devotedly for so many years, even to the present day, the Feast of the Assumption is considered the greatest and holdeth chief place now, if I asked you to raise your hands, <laughs> I couldn't see them, but on how many thought that, my hand wouldn't be raised because I had not thought of this. Children don't often think of what delights their mother most uh they think of what pleases them the most um, but this is really wonderful to come across this um, this homily um among. Uh, Let me see now. Um, Here we go. Indeed, there was no happier or more joyful day for Mary if we duly consider the happiness of both body and soul granted to her on that day. Then, especially as never before, her spirit, soul, and body rejoiced wondrously in the living God And she could rightfully say he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath magnified me. Um, I tell you what, um, for 18 years of my evangelical Protestant, we read those words in the Magnificat. We didn't call it the Magnificat. We read those words Um, of Mary to Elizabeth and uh, all generations she'll call her blessed so we did that every Christmas we called her blessed every Christmas that was it once a year we never uh, used it in conjunction with her name or really her person any time outside of that Um, it's such it's such a loss and such an injustice to Our Lady um, Saint Cansius uh, continues, O thrice blessed and truly august mother, it is for this reason that we who love thee and thy son cannot refrain from congratulating thee with all sincerity upon the admirable and incomparable happiness. Thine admirable. Did you ever think of congratulating our lady? on the feast of her assumption into heaven congratulations mom <laughs> i never thought of it i never thought of it i i think of it doctrinally theologically i know it happened and i'm everything's perfect and it's a day of uh celebration but i never thought of congratulating the blessed mother um so um uh, let me Let me read that one uh, from the beginning, O Thrice blessed and truly August Mother. It is for this reason that we who love thee and thy Son cannot, with all sincerity upon thine admirable and incomparable happiness, especially since everything that has hath been said to thee and about thee by the Lord is brought to a conclusion by thy beautiful passing away from this life and in every wise hath been perfectly fulfilled. Now, uh, the Church has never declared uh, solemnly as a doctrine whether Mary died um, uh, prior to being taken to heaven. Uh, The Eastern Church does teach that she died. Um, The Western Church, the Latin Church that we are a part of for the most part Um, does not teach that. They simply teach the assumption and kind of leave up to uh, our thoughts uh, whether or not she actually died or was immediately assumed prior to her death. Um, But the mystics, and uh, we sent out an email yesterday for those of you who are on our email list, um, on a wonderful homily by Father Frederick Miller um, at a, a mass at EWTN some years ago. Father Frederick Miller, um, just magnificent homily. We found it here, we listened to it, and I said, this is too good to not share. So we sent it out to everyone on our email list. And Father explains both point of views. Um, And it's a beautiful, beautiful homily. In fact, we're going to put it up on our website today. So if you wish to look at it and you didn't receive it, you can go to www.motherofisraelshope.org and you'll see it uh, on our website. And then by the end of this week, I mentioned we're going to be sending out our new, newest email, and it's actually 12 pages. It's a big one with something very special in it. So you're welcome to sign up, go to our website, click on um, newsletters, and right at the top there you can subscribe, email, and uh, what we call snail mail, regular mail, email, and you'll receive everything that we send out, if you wish. Um, but other than that, the newsletters, everything we send out uh, is always up on our website, following the mailing, so you could see it that way as well. Um Okay, let me see where we were. Thyself a guest, Saint Peter Cassian continues. Cassius, um, thyself a guest, thou didst receive Emmanuel, who as a guest did enter into thee. Not amazing, Mary's uh, her son's guest in heaven, and her son was her guest in her womb. It's too, too uh, otherworldly to even contemplate. Um, Emmanuel who as a guest did enter into thee as into a mighty fortress in this world and today thou in turn art received by him into his royal mansion and magnificently welcomed with the highest honor as befitteth one found worthy to be the mother of such a Solomon. This is a greater Solomon, beloved. Oh, it's so great. And finally, St. Peter Cassius writes, O blessed day, which sent so precious a gift from the desert of this world and carried it to the holy and eternal city, so that universal and unheard of joy, no less than admiration, welled up in all the blessed in heaven you see they i there's no tears in heaven otherwise they would have all been sobbing for joy for joy that the mother of their savior was there um o oh blessed day that fulfilled the longing and ardent yearning of the gentle spouse so that she might find what she had sought that she might receive what she had asked, that what she awaited she might possess securely, resting safely at last in that perfect vision and inward joy of the eternal and all great goodness. That's a capital G on that goodness. O blessed day, which raised up and so highly exalted this most humble handmaiden, Of the Lord, that she might become the most glorious Queen of heaven and the Mistress of the world. Indeed, she could not have risen to more sublime heights since she had been elevated to the very throne of the heavenly kingdom and thus was established in glory next after Christ. You know, beloved. I don't think we have um, hardly an idea of what our Lord did in creating the Blessed Mother, Uh, in creating this little girl, Mary, who would be his mother, who was conceived without sin, that she could bear God. I don't think, as much as we think we... As much as we think we love her on earth, as much as we may know of her and about her and read about her and study her, um, I think it's going to be just a little grain of what St. Thomas Aquinas uh, discovered on his deathbed when he said that all, the Church's greatest theologian, that all he had written was straw once he had a glimpse of Christ. I think... Not on an equal level, of course. I think we're going to be very surprised when we get to heaven. Uh, please God at uh, to understand who Mary is and her power and the fact that she truly is uh, the Mediatrix. She truly is our advocate. She truly is our co redemptrix. She is our co redemptrix and for Many, many, many years, uh, uh, maybe hundreds, the Church has been longing for for the Church, for the Magisterium to proclaim her co-redemptrix position as dogma, just like her assumption, as infallible dogma, because it's been believed right from the beginning, and co does not mean equal, it means with that she is a co-redemptrix. God has done um, nothing in the way of salvation apart from his mother. And he's done everything he's done through his mother, including come to us through his mother. St. Cantius continues, O blessed day, which raised up and so highly exalted this most humble handmaiden of the lord that she might become the most glorious queen of heaven and the mistress of the world indeed she could not have risen to more sublime heights since she had been elevated to the very throne of the heavenly kingdom and thus was established in glory next after christ next after christ beloved not even the first pope which is Saint Peter, but Mary. O blessed and truly honorable is this day, which constituted and confirmed for us a queen and mother, who is at once powerful and merciful in the kingdom of God, that we might have her, who ever remaineth the mother of the judge, as a mother of mercy, protecting us and interceding for us with Christ, unceasingly watching over the work work of our salvation. It's so beautiful, beloved. Mary is the key. She is the key to our salvation. She is the one that brings us to Christ. She is the mediatrix. All grace comes from God. All grace that we receive comes from our Lord um, and comes to us through Mary. All grace comes to us through Mary. Um, She is the mediatrix. She's our co-advocate pleading for us before the throne of God. And she's our co-redemptrix. My goodness, all all the, um, I wish I knew it by heart, Um, the Litany of Mary, Um, I I need to memorize these things, but if we only listen um, to, hold on a minute, one second, I want to bring this up. If we only listen to what we say about her, to the words that we pray about the Blessed Mother, how could she not be co-redemptrix? You know, there are people that we uh, we share the gospel with, and and uh, they come into the faith, and they say, of course, God did it. It's God's grace. But it was because of that priest that, um, I'll tell you, we had someone here yesterday, a beautiful mother, a mother and a grandmother, who came to visit her, us. Very, very beautiful. And she attributes... Her coming back to the church and her husband coming into the church to a very wonderful priest. Um, and I don't even think that priest knows the fullness of it. How we, None of us really know what as we walk with God, as we seek Our Lady, as we go to Christ through Our Lady, as we consecrate ourselves to Jesus, through Mary. We have no idea what our Blessed Mother has done for us. I don't think we'll even understand that the other side of heaven. We pray the litany of Loretto um, very often. I, I, I hope that you've all prayed it or at least look it up. The litany of Loretto, the litany of Our Lady, and it begins... Ah, to say, Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. God, the Father of Heaven, have mercy on us. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy on us. God, the Holy Ghost, have mercy on us. Holy Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. And then it begins, Holy Mary, pray for us. And it has all her titles Now, when someone is given a title, such as our beloved St. Francis de Sales, um, who is called the gentle doctor, the the father of love, it's because that's his title. It becomes his description because it's what he is. And the same thing here. All these titles are what Mary is. She is um, the mother of God, Holy Virgin of Virgins, Mother of Christ, Mother of Divine Grace. You see that? Mother of Divine Grace, Mother Most Pure. I know many of you know this litany and have prayed it and have chanted it, but think about this, if you even question her position as our co-redemptrix. She is that, beloved, just as the Blessed Mother is the Mother of the Savior, And the mother of every Christian, even if non-Catholic Christians say she's not my mother, they just keep themselves as orphans. They don't know. Excuse people of it. They don't know who their mother is. They're, They're spiritual orphans. But she's their mother nonetheless. It's not based on our knowledge. It's based on who God has made her. She is Mother of Divine Grace, Mother Most Pure, Mother Most Chaste, Mother inviolate, Mother Undefiled, Mother Most Amiable, Mother Most Admirable, Mother of Good Counsel, Mother of Our Creator, Mother of Our Savior. She is Virgin Most Prudent, Virgin Most Venerable, Virgin Most Renowned, Virgin Most Powerful, Virgin Most Merciful, Virgin Most Faithful. And now listen to this amazing uh, breadth of titles. Seat of Wisdom, Cause of Our Joy, Spiritual Vessel, Vessel of Honor, Singular Vessel of Devotion, Mystical Rose, Tower of David, Tower of Ivory, House of Gold, Ark of the Covenant, Gate of Heaven, Morning Star, Health of the Sick, Refuge of Sinners, Comforter of the Afflicted, Help of Christians, Queen of Angels, Queen of Patriarchs, Queen of Prophets, Queen of Apostles, Queen of Martyrs, queen of confessors, queen of virgins, queen of all saints, queen conceived without original sin. Listen, beloved, queen assumed into heaven, queen of the most holy rosary, queen of peace. And you know what we add? We add. Um, She is the mother of Israel's hope. We are the daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's hope. And that could well be added to this litany under her title of Mother. Because the hope of Israel is, uh, even unbelieving Israel, the hope of Israel to this day is the Messiah. And she is the Mother of the Messiah, the Mother of the Christ. She is the Mother of the hope of Israel, or to shorten it as we have, the Mother of of Israel's hope and you know when i sought that title for us that name for our community back in 2007 um i put it in quotes on the web and there were no such words that could come up together there was no such thing there's the mother of hope yes but not the mother of israel's hope and um one one studious priest sent that name to Rome for us um, and uh, it was confirmed it's never ever been used and we have permission to use it which means it should be added it should be her first title it should be her first title the mother of Israel's hope uh, because that's exactly who she is um, at his birth at the virgin birth at God's choosing her she was already the mother of the hope of Israel, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. There's our uh, break music, beloved. Call in with anything on your heart, toll free, one 511 5483 Our lines are wide open, beloved. Call in with anything on your heart or email at mother at com.
2: In St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews, we read, Let your life be free from love of money, but be content with what you have. For Jesus has said, I will never forsake you or abandon you. When you trust the Lord with your money, He can do remarkable things. By donating in support of Catholic Radio's efforts to evangelize our world, your gift could be doubled. Many organizations offer gift-matching programs for their employees' charitable donations. If your place of employment is one of them, be sure to take advantage of this opportunity in support of Catholic Catholic radio and our evangelization efforts may god bless you for your generosity to the station of the cross proclaiming the fullness of truth with
0: clarity and charity tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m eastern for sermons for everyday living a program that brings you real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith visit thestationofthecross.com for details To Mother Miriam live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming, brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email her at mother at thestationofthecross dot com.
1: Welcome back, beloved. Good to be with you. And you know, we, you must be all very busy, or you did take yesterday off. We don't have emails, and our phone lines are wide open. So... Um, feel free to call in or text or write, and we'll be able to take your emails and calls right away. We caught up yesterday. That's that's a first. So um, we'll be delighted to hear from you, beloved, with anything on your heart. It does not need to be what we're speaking about at all. Um, but the matter, um, the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. So call in. It could be anonymous with anything on your heart, or again, text or text or email, um, we're on the, the, the issue of the Assumption. And um, the Coming Home Network International had a magnificent um, um, posting um, for the Feast of the Assumption written by a beautiful uh, gentleman, father, husband, Dr. Kenneth Howell. Um, it was actually... Uh, he wrote this about eight years ago in twenty eleven and we we found it and we we posted that on our web as well, or you can find it on the website of the coming home network international coming home network it international it's It's a magnificent apostolate uh founded by Marcus Grodi, a magnificent Uh, father and Catholic and pastor. He was also a convert to the church, and he has Journeys Home on EWTN, which outside of Mother Angelica, I think has been their number one program, Journeys Home. It plays every week, and um, every week uh, Marcus has a new guest that um, uh, has come into the church. Uh, maybe once in a while has returned to the church. And you know that many people that return to the church are, in a sense, Catholic for the first time because no Catholic who knows what the church is would leave the church. People have fought me on that. I don't budge. If you know what the church is, if you knew and you believed that the Eucharist was truly Christ, and it could not be Christ in any Protestant church, of course, and they don't believe or teach that. Rightly, they don't believe or teach that. Uh, Who would leave Christ for fellowship of human beings? Who would do that, even for good Bible teaching? Who would leave Christ for that? It makes no sense. Um, uh, He's the Savior of the world, and if you've been graced to know that, and then you leave. I've spoken to people, they've been altar boys, they've been Catholic Church, Catechism, all their life. And then they leave for some other fellowship or Bible study or fervent group. And I say, I I understand, I believe you that you've been Catholic all your life, but um, you don't know what the church is because you would never leave. Those, I heard someone recently who had been Catholic all her life, and she's marrying a Jewish man and converting to Judaism. She has no idea what the Catholic Church is, because the Catholic Church is the fulfillment of Judaism. It is Judaism, fulfilled in its Messiah and spread to the four corners of the earth. So she's turning her back on the Jewish Messiah in order to enter what is pre-Messianic Judaism, which is the Judaism that pointed to the Messiah that um, has no more uh the law cannot be kept anymore, there's no more temple. Christ is the sacrifice to which all pointed, so it it's just very um, um, is difficult and um uh I want to say crazy because. Uh At least to know that if you ever want to leave the Catholic Church, you need to know no matter what you've been taught that the Catholic Church um is the church Christ established, and you don't understand what it is, even if you've been raised in it um, uh, I can say that with confidence because if you love God, you wouldn't turn your back on him you wouldn't um you wouldn't leave him so um all this came to mind, um, um, in in um, in seeing this article by um, by uh, Kenneth Doctor Kenneth Howell. He's just tremendous. I'm going to begin to read that article by him. And again, you are welcome to call in, um, or to text, or to email. I'll give out the number once more. It's one eight seven seven five one one. Five four eight three, or um, email at mother at cross dot com, and Doctor Howell um, headed this uh, article that he wrote. Why did Pius the Twelfth proclaim the dogma of Mary's Assumption? Now, some people would say dogma. I'm from Brooklyn. Dogma. <laughs> Why did Pius the Twelfth proclaim the dogma of the Assumption of Mary? Um, Hold on a minute. Um, Here it is. He said the month of August is for most Americans a time of enjoying the last days of summer, Um, fun before preparing for the return of another uh, school year. It is a relaxing season to be with family and friends, hosting barbecues, picnics, uh, swimming parties. Hold on one moment here. Okay. Okay. Um For Catholics, as for their fellow Americans, August represents the transition from the summer heat to the cool air of autumn. But there's one important difference between the way Catholics and others observe this month. Catholics celebrate an important mystery in the history of salvation. On August 15th, the Solemnity of the Assumption of Mary. Officially instituted on this day in the year 1950, that's 1950, this solemnity marks the most recent dogma proclaimed as such, as a dogma, uh, as an infallible teaching, that is, by the Catholic Church. Hold on one moment. but its historical roots run deep like every dogma the assumption of mary is first and foremost a mystery in the biblical and catholic and catholic listen to me in the biblical and catholic sense of an event of salvation history that embodies the saving power of god that means it is important for us to understand what it is about we may take it for granted that the Church does not proclaim dogmas without good reason. All the major doctrinal decisions in the history of the Church were motivated by a pastoral concern for the health of the faithful. After all, the first and last responsibility of the bishops and priests of the Church is the spiritual welfare of the faithful. Well, we can put those words in bold type today. There's the music for our second break, beloved. Feel free to call in, uh, or text or email during the break. It's a good time to do that. Um, and the toll free number, 1-877-511-5483, uh, or email at mother at the station of the dot com. We'll be right back.
0: of iCatholic Radio are raving about our app in the iTunes and Google Play stores. One user says, it's exactly what I was looking for since having a closer walk with my Lord and my God. Great app for the living Catholic. Praise God. Nancy says, this is the best app. I have become a regular listener to it. I use it every day. I also play it all night long while we sleep. Get this app and use it. It will change your life for the better. Another user recommends iCatholic Radio saying, So sweet a sound. This has allowed me to listen to Catholic Radio when I travel. What an awesome learning tool. Thank you. If you haven't reviewed iCatholic Radio yet, what are you waiting for? Visit your iTunes or Google Play store today.
1: Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. And, um, we do have an email from, well, actually, it was Mary called in and she left a message offline. And she has a question. Why, in the prayers of Our Lady, do they call Mary August Mother? Uh, it's not August Mother, but August Mother. It's an adjective and it means, uh, dignified, distinguished, solemn, uh, truly set apart august uh august rather in a very solemn distinguished dignified way um, uh, beautiful and um outstanding <laughs> um Okay, I hope that I hope that helps some. Um, and again, our lines are wide open. Our emails, a text, plenty of room, plenty of time, plenty of space. I don't know where you all are today, but I'm here. So uh, come in with your questions or uh, any time. I'll give out the number one last time. We have oh about fifteen minutes left. You're welcome to call in or text at one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or to email at mother at the station of the dot com and I'm going to continue to read a wonderful article by Dr. Kenneth Howell, a magnificent convert to the church he's written a number of books and I think most on Our Lady. He loves our Lady um, and you can look up uh, Dr. Kenneth Howell on the internet and you'll you'll see the title of his books i 'm trying to remember one that is just wonderful for those. Who really want to look into the Catholic Church? he starts with Mary. It is um, basically what Mother Teresa had said um, no Christ, no Mary, I rather no Mary, no Christ, and N-O, oh no Mary, and N-O, oh no Christ, but also no mary k n o w no christ k n o w there's no Christ without Mary. It was her fiat. That gave God permission, if you can imagine such a thing, to take flesh and blood and come into this world. And the flesh and blood that we receive at every Mass, now risen and glorified, is that flesh and blood which the Blessed Mother gave him in her womb, um, a womb that had to be without sin to be the dwelling place of the Holy God of Israel. Um And, uh, again, uh, to know Mary, K-N-O-W, is to know Christ. You know, even sometimes, I'll bring it down to a mundane human level, when a a woman is dating a man and she uh, really, really wants to know the inside facts and really know him, what was he like as a baby and all that, she goes to his mother and she finds out tremendous, wonderful things and loves him more. Well, no one can lead us to her son like our mother. Nobody. Nobody. And don't forget, she is a Jewish mother, and she will always say, if you come to her, do I have a son for you? or do I have a son for you? <laughs> and she does. And she will lead us to him. And as much as you love Christ, if you're a non-Catholic, as much as you love Christ, and I did, I dare to say, for 18 years trying to save Catholics when I was an evangelical Protestant, um, uh, as much as I could think I loved Christ it I couldn't possibly have loved him as I do now and now I think I've hardly begun to love him only because of Our Lady only because of Our Lady I know him in ways I never would have known him otherwise and I see that I'm not anywhere near where I could be in loving him that's what our mother does She's wonderful. And so uh, Dr. Howell says, um, Why is Mary's Assumption into Heaven an important truth for our spiritual well-being? What is the spiritual benefit of the dogma of the Assumption? Um, And he says to find out, we must first understand what the Catholic Church teaches about it. Pope Pius XII, now you and I have been there before, Pope Pius XII formally defined and promulgated this dogma in his encyclical, here we're going to go again with my mispronunciation, Mnificentissimus Deus, and it was on August fifteenth, 1950. The fact of the Assumption was stated this way, quote, from Pius XII, It is a dogma revealed by God that the Immaculate Mother of God, Mary, ever Virgin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up, body and soul, into the glory of heaven. End quote. And Doctor Hal says, "But we must also ask what the Holy Father hoped would be the pastoral benefit for the people of God," um, and. Notice that Pope Pius XII said that she was taken up body and soul into the glory of heaven. He never stated whether or not she died. Um, and again, that is, um, um, we cannot say that dogmatically uh, in, in the sense that we, it has never been dogmatically declared by the church whether or not she died. Um I'll just tell you ahead of time, and I think I said this yesterday, um, We, the, the mystics, St. Mary of Agreta and others have said she did die in imitation of her son. He died, and she would not not die. So she did die and then was taken into heaven. But again, that's not definitive because the Church doesn't teach it definitively. Um, <clears throat> uh Dr. Howell says, why did Pius XII think this was an important moment to proclaim Mary's Assumption in 1950? Most Catholics really connect, rarely connect the proclamation of this dogma with the world events during Pius's pontificate. But in the year 1950, 1950, the world was still reeling from the, devastation, the devastating effects of World War II, the inhumanity of the National Socialists, that is the Nazis, um, that's what Nazis means, the National Socialists in Germany, had decimated European Jewry. They killed the Jews, as you know, as well as slaughtering millions of Christians and other Gentiles who attempted to resist their demonic policies. The German military invaded almost every European country. Italy was one of the last to be invaded. During the entire war, Pius XII spoke out against the inhumanity perpetrated by the German juggernaut. From the beginning of his pontificate in 1939 to the end of the war in 1945, Pius had defended the weak by speaking out against man's inhumanity to man, and by covertly arranging the protection of thousands of Jews in Italy. Now, I'm going to break in here to say that um, because of Pius XII, who should definitely be canonized, 860,000 Jews were saved because of his underground effort. He was writing against the persecution, the killing, the slaughtering of the Jewish people. And Edith Stein, who had already been taken um, because they came to the convent in Holland and and knew she was Jewish, put a Jewish star on her, and um, she died in Auschwitz. She said to her sister Rosa, who had entered the convent behind her, "'Come, Rosa, we go for our people.'" And Eda Stein, every time Pope Pius XII spoke out, she wrote a letter begging him not to. She said, Your Holiness, every time you speak out against the persecution of our people, many, many more of us are slaughtered in retaliation. Please don't do that. And so he stopped. And he had a massive underground movement that saved uh, 80% of Europe's Jews perished, 80% of Italy's Jews were saved uh, because of that holy pontiff. Just magnificent. Um, Let me just take a peek here. Um, We have a question from Natalie. I I want to continue with the article, but I want to take your questions or emails as they come up. Um, And Natalie says, Mother, what is the difference between nuns and sisters? I heard nuns are cloistered and stay hidden in the convent and sisters go out into the world and work with others. Is this true, mother? Yes, it is true. It is true. Technically, um sisters were not called nuns. Uh if you're, you're if you're cloistered you're a nun. If you're out in public if you have an active apostolate as we do trying to help the restoration of the family and bring the habit back to the world then we're sisters and not nuns people say nuns because they hunger for nuns again it's just one syllable instead of two they love the word and they they say nuns I've even said it without being technically uh, focused or correct that way we are sisters um, so Mother Miriam is a sister not a nun uh, we could rightly say that but uh many people outside they're so excited to see a sister looking like a sister they come up to us and say i thought are you a nun are you a nun i thought they were extinct it's just a beautiful thing so we don't correct them and say well we're actually sisters because that's not the point that they're making so uh you're very right natalie uh that's a point that uh that of distinguish Um, that we should make. We now have a text from someone who writes it anonymously and says, I believe in the true presence of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in the Eucharist. I've heard people talk about how they love the Eucharist. They are in love with the Eucharist. I have saved a YouTube video of Mother Angelica saying that before receiving the Eucharist that we need to pray and prepare the best moment of our lives she's absolutely right and the mass helps us in that preparation we have the confidior at the early part of the mass the confession we have if you're in the latin church we have the confession just uh prior to receiving the eucharist and again and uh we say lord um Uh, we we acknowledge that we're a sinner, we're not worthy to receive him. We do pray before we uh, receive Mass, and yet still people are not rightly prepared for it. Um, This person writing in says, I want to believe more deeply and be in love with the Eucharist. I want to feel my heart breaking for him. Is there a book you might recommend or something to recommend that I do specifically to reach this truly deep level of love for the Eucharist. Thank you, and God bless you. Of course, deep love for the Eucharist is the the deep love we have for Christ. They're one and the same. They're one and the same. To the degree that we love our Lord Jesus Christ That is the degree to which we will love the Eucharist. We love him, Peter says in the scriptures, yet we do not see him. We do not see him, yet we love him. We don't see him in the Eucharist. We see the the appearance of our Lord under bread and wine, but we don't see our Lord because he comes to us in the form of bread and wine. Um, But it's truly him. The substance becomes him, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so I would say they're equal I grieve, uh, dear one, that I don't love him as I should. I don't love him as I ought. I don't love him as I wish to love him. And you know what I think? I think the rest of our lives, we will never love him as much as we want to love him. Because when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, he gives us Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. He puts them there. He gives us those desires, and then, by His grace, lives them out. We're always want going to want, please God, no matter how much we love God, we'll know, we'll always know it's not sufficient, we'll always know we can love Him more, and we'll always be in anguish of a sort, because we don't love Him more. So, thank God that you truly want to love Him more, because That is a grace He's done in your heart. Many, many, many people could really care less. They go to Mass, they receive the Eucharist, and they are not in pain because they don't love Him more. They're not so concerned about that. That's a grace God has done in your heart. And take every grace, beloved, as a promise. If it's a desire of yours, it's not a desire of your flesh, that's for sure, or mine. It's not Satan's desire for you. It's a desire of God that he's put there. And God will never give us a desire that he doesn't live out. So, yes, you could read. um, uh, Oh, my goodness. uh, How could I forget this? St. John Udes, U-D-E-S. But there's another one, the priest of the Congregation of the Sacred Heart. He wrote nine volumes on the Blessed Sacrament. Look up on the internet The Priest of the Eucharist um, and you will find him. And I'll mention him on Monday because I can't believe his name slipped my mind. Uh, It's wonderful on the Eucharist. Absolutely wonderful. God bless you all. And uh, have a wonderful weekend. We'll speak with you on Monday.